Hi and welcome to Integrated Awakenings. It's me, Maria, and today we're going to talk about decolonization, uh, intersectional privilege, and how to heal with groups, right? I feel like this is an episode that I can only record now because I just got back from my conference. So I attended Prince Mahito Awards Conference. It's a medical conference based on Thailand because Thailand really prioritizes health because one of their earlier princes was really into was like an early doctor in harvard and they just really invested in their medical system so they have like the one of the earliest universal healthcare systems in the asia and yeah they they hold this conference so i spoke there uh with the theme of geopolitics and equity and decolonizing knowledge specifically and As much as I wanted to share like word per word what I said there, I also feel like I just wanted to share how I think about spiritual work and group work, process work, right? I feel like for a lot of folks, when they get into healing, they do inner work, they think about themselves and like how to just feel better, right? It's a lot of personal work that evolves into greater capacities and when you have more right it becomes easier to include more people to help more people but i just wanted to offer that for other people so in ken wilber's model there is that four quadrant perception of the world right and there's like i we all right and there was another one i think it was like just objective reality like just universe but the thing is that some people come from the allness they they come from a group so for example you're a baby queer or you're a woman and you're like you don't know why you're so frustrated with why you're so depressed sometimes you don't need to work on yourself sometimes you just want to learn about feminism sometimes you want to hear about how other maybe queer people suffer and it uplifts you because you feel less alone because you feel like This is something that is systematically happening. It's actually not about me, right? What is occurring to me is beyond like my personal agency right now. Like I cannot, you know, snap my fingers and the world suddenly changes, right? Our perceptions and our attitudes towards it can change. But there's this paradox, right? Being able to hold the nuance and complexity of Yes, we are all life and lovely and willing, um, deserving of dignity and respect. And at the same time, a lot of laws, a lot of societies, a lot of policies don't treat us equal, right? A, a lot of people, all life is not treated equal without dignity, right? And I feel like there are souls, there are definitely people who love going from the group to the personal rather than from the personal to the group and i feel like it's not as appreciated the process on how to go about that and i just wanted to outline for people who might be used to doing psychosomatic work or therapeutic work or spiritual work for the personal how to paano siya itawid how do you cross over into a group now For people who might be, might be more familiar with my work, I've already described that we have group guides in the same way that individual people have personal angels, personal spirit guides. A group also has like a guardian aspect, right? An aspect of the universe that holds that energy. 
right? Now, sometimes I call it an archon. Sometimes um, I know chaos magicians have a different term for them. Like egregore, there you go. Like magicians in general call it egregore. But I think the reason why I prefer guardians is because I would like to believe that this aspect of the divine has a quality of stewardship, right? Yeah, because egregore sometimes just sounds like this, like an aggregate of something that wasn't done on purpose. But I feel like a lot of groups, just like how we choose family, also choose each other. So our work, our, you know, uh, purposes that we fight for, right? Hobbies, these, these have group guides. And I'll be really frank with you. Um, when I do, so when we do personal sessions, I do tap into someone's energy and I kind of see a map. Treat the group guide like the group body, like a wisdom body, the group wisdom nuances, subtleties, movements, reactions of that body has an, I wouldn't say a leader, but it would have a head, right? It would have a, index and interface right since i love body work and i love the body as a language i usually get a body map so for example for pmac prince mahidol awards conference the name of the conference there were a lot of researchers a lot of policy makers a lot of doctors a lot of um a lot of un people right so a lot of Honestly, when I first tapped into the energy, it was like a lot of mental energy, a lot of movement, a lot of wind in the head, right? The hearts were clear, the intentions were clear, but the stomach was almost gone. There was no fire. There was um, the the winds of the head had a difficult time descending into the body. Like a lot of these ideas felt thought out, but not lived or integrated or realized right? And sometimes that's really frustrating. It almost feels like you're one of those aswang um, bayon. <laughs> in the Philippines, we have this folklore of like half of the body is like flying and floating. It's like a vampire and the other half is like staying somewhere. So it kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like a lot of these academics have like their top half active and their lower parts dead. And this would manifest. I felt even in the plane, I felt like a lot of gas, a lot of nerves, a lot of gut, liver energy. And the thing is, I don't, I don't think I was nervous. I was like, no, this is the energy of the body of the conference and the group that we have a lot of unprocessed, undigested stuff because we kind of learn more than what we can take on or what we are ready to digest. Yeah. And I made a, a few friends during a conference and a lot of them, like, I would be like, oh, something's up with your tummy. <laughs> like, I, I can name probably five people, five, six people where they kind of had some weird indigestion and it's not the food, right? It wasn't the food. There was, there was your, your, energetic emotional system wasn't wired correctly because the energy couldn't go down and i was speaking to one of the professors there how there is a bias in class classism of how when you do the thinking and the researching you're not the one who does the labor 
right? Because that's for the poorer people. That's for people of a different class. It almost like dirties the work if they do it. And I'm like, <laughs> but this is why all of you are sick, right? This is why all of you don't know how to build trust. This is why all of you don't know how to kind of let the energy finish, right? Because I feel like, you know how when you're trying to write an essay and you just put all the ideas there, but you don't have like the gut liver fire to kind of mush these ideas together and get yourself to the finish line right sometimes we we need the libido like this lower chakra energy to kind of allow what we know to become how we are so that we don't just forage realizations we live out realizations and the thing is i was speaking a lot about how we can't just acquire knowledge for the sake of like acquisition right it needs to be tempered into wisdom it must evolve into wisdom and wisdom is cultivated right you you train and ready yourself to deserve it even the capacity to hold it right the warriorship of like the the metal the balls to kind of sit there with the truth right so I just wanted to show how you could tap into a group's energy and you could have a map, like I'm telling you, of how historically how researchers have become. Historically, what are the problems of why changes aren't manifesting? We can also kind of have a lot of clues into what kind of metaphors, images kind of arrive. So... I'll stick with the gut metaphor, right? And then I'll move into decoloniality. <laughs> I know it's like a, such a big word, but I want to stick with the gut metaphor, right? Other than fire, it's also where the womb is. It's where we have babies. It's how where we make space rather than command, right? I know you can also command from the seat of your belly, right? Like it has a sovereign energy, like a Hara Japanese warriorship energy. But this felt like what they needed was this feminine um, inclusion, right? This spaciousness. We, we don't need more solutions. We don't need to quote unquote innovate or like have an empirical research. We need more space, pregnant space. And they were saying how a lot of the revolutions that really shaped public policy around health was grassroots, community-led, bottom-up. And I was kind of seeing and sensing how there is grass listening. There is grass that is wild and knows where to go. And it doesn't really need to kind of like build into a structure. It is grass. It is ever like jumping and flowing to what needs to be done. And that there's this interstitial network underground that allows life to talk to each other so that you know exactly what to do, right? And the thing is, a lot of masculine leadership might not notice that, might not uh, be able to sense that. And yet that is the feminine allurement or the feminine mm, grace and easefulness. Now, the thing is that I also wanted to say that the sensitivity to receive wisdom, right? 
also has like a physical manifestation. You usually feel more open. Your heart feels open. Your spine feels solid, but also kind of loose, graceful. Like there's a lot of wind. And you kind of need to massage the bodies to be able to open into that. So not just your physical bodies, but the group bodies, right? And I know that for a lot of people, you might be working, I don't know, maybe for the government, maybe for corporate, or maybe for yourself, right? And it's kind of just, there are a lot of factors, outside factors, right? Competition, recessions, um, fake news, right? That influences your job or that influences the groups that you're with. We're that interconnected, right? But the thing is that I really want people to picture that when you're like that heart warrior, (laughs) I know that sounds so sentimental, but when you're a warrior, right? Even Bruce Lee, you need to be really relaxed to be really masterful really open the sense the sensitivity when he needs to move towards the next thing needs to be very open right so i want folks to kind of like adopt that kind of position or idea when we kind of lead in a feminine manner it's not that it doesn't strike or it's not alive because some people think it's just always like a lying down womb right but i do want to just um put people's attentions into like the sensitivity of the feminine how it's always all the ears are always open and listening and reaching and informed right all of these networks constantly like kind of informing itself bottom up right rather than a linear approach it's very from all pores and systems of your body you're always kind of listening and moving yeah and when we speak about the uh, rectification of the feminine, the balancing of the feminine, uh, the union, transcendent union of a feminine and a masculine principle, I feel like people kind of get stuck on the gender, right? Whereas I really want to emphasize the capacities. Like, I don't care if the room is full of men, right? But if you have this deep capacity to listen, this roundedness and openness, this this capacity to be a doula, like to be a womb, I would say the feminine is present in that room, right? So that is kind of one of the things that I was really positing for the conference, for the people who were like really willing to listen to me. And... It's really, I really also just want to offer that I think during the conference, it became really clear to me that I come from a very, very privileged position because I'm eloquent enough to explain concepts to like reading, right? Um, I'm privileged enough to have higher self-esteem that I wouldn't buckle in front of like these delegates from World Health Organization or UNDP or like these health ministers from, you know, Africa, from UK or, you know, these doctorates, right? People would post grad stuff and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, um, I remember Arnie Mendel's book that I kept posting on my Instagram account, sitting with a fire and he was talking about how we have intersectional privileges and how psychological and spiritual privilege exists. Meaning, if you wake up in a day and you don't hate yourself, 
if you feel connected with God and you don't have you're, you don't have like these existential crises because of your faith or because of your spiritual development and experiences, that is a privilege. Not everybody has the capacity to access that. We understand that spirit is everywhere, but not everybody has access to teachers, to temples, to even like, like it's, I understand that it's always accessible even in the concentration camps, but if no one if no one presences with you, right, the odds are much lower, right? And I realized that I was in a very privileged room and that my intersection of privileges was very different, right? I had an emotional fluency. Like I had, I was able to be eloquent enough to hold space with a room of people not used to holding space, Right, I was eloquent enough to explain ideas that are very spiritual and energetic, but in the lens of policy. I was also very, how do I say this? Like, um, I can be overwhelmed with like a room full of diplomats, but I wouldn't shrink. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was objective enough to be able to say, "Oh, this is the energy of the conference." Right? There's something up with their guts. There's something up with their wombs. But anyway. I just wanted to put that out there because I feel like I've always wanted to do an episode on privilege, but I feel like this is like the perfect place to talk about it because I think it's also what we talk about when we talk about decoloniality. We were born different. We were raised different, right? If somebody's like pretty or if somebody passes for the mainstream or somebody dresses quote-unquote what people perceive to be rich and well or intelligent or well-kept they're treated differently i notice that like when i dress differently people kind of look at they're they're nicer to me unnecessarily so and if you think act look a certain way you achieve certain privileges and if you're so isolated in that bubble of privilege you don't feel um it's kind of hard to notice what these privileges do for you right and the thing is i had a struggle with that before because i was i i worked with the urban poor so i i work for informal settlements um, with uh, Homeless People Federation of the Philippines. It's associated with Philippine Alliance. So for people who are more international, it's kind of like Slum Dwellers International. You fight for housing rights for uh, slum dwellers, right? And I really love HBFBI because their their leader used to be a slum dweller. So Aterubi had so much competence so much leadership leadership like people would listen to her because she is them right there's no sense of superiority because she is herself and she's the one who's saying we can save money we can represent ourselves we can organize data we can we can go to the mayor and she just speaks very simply she she's just so amazing and i remember when i used to work there it's like near a church I would just have like Chinese decoy from my family and they would fight over the box because the box looks pretty. 
And I was like just so shocked that at my house we would just have like these random things from my grandparents, right? And to them it's like pretty enough to be their jewelry box, right? And it's like they're it's not that they were begging for scraps, it's more of like they were fighting over something that was like of value to them. And I remember there was this eighteen year old like uh SK. Um he was like a youth youth leader, right? And he wanted help to get bank accounts so that um the youth can save money and help their help their parents uh get legal settlement and i was like dang what was i doing when i was 17 what the fuck am i doing here i look different i i i write papers faster I did the. I was doing architectural work before. I did architectural work faster, just because you know, um, I live a more comfortable life, right? It was just very hum. I wouldn't even say humbling for me. It taught me a lot about heart. Uh, I can really attest that HBFBI, the people who work there, have some of the biggest heart chakras I have ever fucking seen like it is all it is the thing that kind of like transcends and moves them forward and it's this heart resonance that really knows how to connect and kind of move mountains that they can touch urban poor people who are you know dying from gunfights or like malnutrition and you know she she kind of faces like these weird things like grantors being assholes like international grantors being assholes and you know she could just she could just forge on like i really love her the only reason i loved her organization was because i wasn't meant to be an architect i was meant to be an artist right i i couldn't die um that urge within me wouldn't die but yeah so anyway i was speaking about her because I honestly feel like she experiences love and grace in such a manner that a lot of the most privileged people don't have never experienced like actual deep-seated authentic love and dreaming for other people in a way that other people would have never have tasted right in their isolation and the thing is, I remember what Sir Jesse was saying in like the uh, plenary conferences of how we were saying that when we say poor countries and rich countries, what we're also needing to say is that w- the underprivileged have resources that we don't understand. They they are more sensitive. They are more context specific. They have more leadership, right now. I don't want to like stick to global health too much because I know that every the people who are listening to my podcast are not necessarily in public health policy. <laughs> but um I guess what I'm trying to say is that I understand when it's very hard to sit with your different privileges and lack of privileges. So maybe, so for example, me, monetarily, I'm comfortable, right? But the status of what my job is like, like being an artist, that's like low rank. So high rank is, you know, I'm financially comfortable. Low rank is artist because it's not like, you know, you're not a value to society. Like you're, you're, it's a marginalized group, right? It, the consensus is, eh, you're not so important, right? 
I look like a woman and I'm queer, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? So when so when women talk about the frustrations of not being heard, I can relate to that. And yet, when you have lower income income class problems, I understand that I cannot like connect with that as much as other things. So being able to hold that complexity, being able to uh, fish that out. Now, I know it's kind of weird, but the only way that I can really help or I can really give advice in terms of how people can be comfortable with their rank, with their privilege, is just really being okay with the intersectionality of it. Like, say it. Say it. I have psychological privileges uh, because, you know, I had like a good mentor or a good grandma. I had you know, monetary or maybe gender, right? I have a heteronormative relationship, right? Just just be able to say that and just enjoy the privileges, but also use that power from these ranks and privilege to reveal and maybe uplift the more underprivileged. It's really that simple, but that's kind of like what's funny about like a lot of healing processes, it can be very straightforward, but the processes can feel very janky, like messy, right? Like, oh my God, I need to unpack monetary. Oh my God, I need to unpack heteronormativity, right? So, you know, everybody has like different appetites for doing each of them. Um, because, you know, there's grief, there's shame, but there's also opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the more cognizant we are of these things, the more we can offer, listen, and like feel less judgmental, hateful, right? Okay, next, I kind of want to talk about decolonization, and I know that everybody kind of arrives here from a different place. I know that everybody has different contexts. Not everybody who listens to my podcast is Filipino or colonized even. And I just want to say that part of decol... <laughs> a part of me sometimes when I see geopolitics or decolonization, I kind of just want to cross out the word and just write ancestral trauma. <laughs> I just want to say that that's just collective ancestral trauma, right? Every time you're scared of presenting in a white male room every time you're scared of like holding a lot of money because you were historically poor every time you're scared of having the freedom of like living a life that you actually like rather than what you're forced to these are just ancestral historical collective traumas right and they're embedded in your genes they're embedded in your momentum or what people call karma and yeah kind of weird right i feel like I feel like a lot of social political analysts get to a lot of terms and stories and historicizing around that, but that's just ancestral trauma, right? That's pain. That's a story of pain. That's a story of collective pain and collective rank, collective oppression, collective marginalization. And I kind of wanted to get to the bones of that. I wanted to say that decolonization is about that 
is about that power struggle. It's about that marginalization. So that anytime you kind of have an issue with rank, an issue with privilege, like, oh, I hate rich people, or how tactless this person said something, right? I want folks to kind of like hear that there is an ancestral hurt and pain that is unheard, right? Unheard. It's a um, Arnie Mandel calls them ghosts of the relationship or of the situation, and it's like this unspoken thing that you know what I kind of hate. For example, um, this kind of racial profile because they're like too damn rich or too damn privileged. You you all are just imperialists, right? And the thing is, in the- Ghosts work this way, by the way. If you really want to rectify the sins of this ghost or kind of just have compassion for them so that they can pass on forward, you kind of just need to listen to it, right? So when we're trying to... I don't want to beat people into political correctedness, like, oh, don't hate rich people. No, no, no. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear how a lot of your ancestors, a lot of your people did not have money, did not have comfort, did not have security. And the thing is that I I am a fan of anger. I'm a fan of rage, but I feel like we also need to have space for the wholeness of what has happened, right? Meaning there is grief meaning there is shame, sometimes even disgust, like, oh, I hate myself, right? I need to disappear, right? And the thing is that we need to be able to hold all of that. I know it sounds like a big task, but when I say hold, it kind of, you hold it and then it just flows, right? You don't need to, like, keep the luggage all the time, but you do need to touch it, right? And I just want to say that you you don't need to feel shame that you occupy the lower rank, whether it's for your gender, whether it's for your father's incompetency, for example, like they didn't stay together or something. You don't have to feel shame with a diagnosis that you have. You don't have to feel shame about your body fat. Yeah, you do don't you don't need to internalize the oppression that society has for your quote unquote kind right so for example they're mean to cur- curly haired people you don't need to internalize that you you doesn't have to enter your space right so for example i'm i'm curly haired in the philippines we prize straight hair because we like um spanish slash it like looks neater, supposedly. I don't know, like a Western ideal. And then uh, the kinkier hair is, the more native slash uh, poor you look, right? So I would, when I was younger, people would spend so much money on rebonding, straightening. Like all the conditioners would feature women with straight hair. And then my all the women around me would always say that, like you fix yourself fix yourself why why you look like a mess right and they were using these fine-toothed combs to like kind of like comb my hair and the thing is that you're not supposed to treat curly hair that way 
Um, the level of kinkiness my hair has, you're supposed to hand comb it. You're not supposed to use a thin, thin tooth comb. You're also not supposed to wash it as often. Basically, it's like a competency and educational gap. That the reason why my curly hair looked bad was because they didn't know how to take care of it. Because I had um, my dad's side of the family had like some black, um, black people uh, lineage, right? And the thing is, they didn't know how to take care of that kind of hair. So you just look, quote unquote, dirty, right? So the thing is that it, I think it was very pivotal for me in my high school or teenage life when I really said, stop touching my hair, like stop rebonding it. I'm cutting it. I'm layering it. It's mine, right? It's, it's now, it's, it's gonna be how I want it to be, right? And I learned how to take care of it. And some of my closest friends that I made during that era are still my friends now. And we're all like, we're all curly haired. We're <laughs> We always have different hair lengths, but we're all curly haired. And I really, every time I see a curly girl who's like, didn't layer their hair right or or had like the trauma from rebonding days, we have like a connection that digi-permed haired people don't understand. Like the digi-permed hair people were like, I just like to look sexy or like have this Latin American vibes. They didn't get the trauma bonding. <laughs> they didn't experience what it was like to suffer because of something that you were just born with, right? And yeah, so I, I know I picked something very kind of simple so that people don't feel too activated. But it's things like these that people don't know that you went through that journey, Right, like people don't know that a lot of women, because through body shame or a lot of like visual policing, can deprive and hate their bodies instead of seeing it as like a sacred instrument or feeling beautiful. If they experience violence against them because of their attractiveness, they would have like a lot of tension in their body just to kind of like whip it into survival instead of like ease. Right, and I guess what I'm trying to emphasize here is that it's okay for us to be very, very specific, right, with our oppressions. I know this doesn't sound groundbreaking, it feels kind of obvious that you speak the truth into what is ailing you, like you know, elder sister syndrome and stuff like that, but. I want people to have kind of a sensitivity towards truth. Can you sense the deepest fiber of what you're trying to say? Right? So for example, eldest daughter responsibility or women. I'm always expected to take care of people. It's so exhausting. Or hair and clothes and it's like to be treated seriously I need to please people a certain way and appear richer in a certain way instead of just being given respect, right? It's okay to... I'm not saying wish ill of people, 
But you know that subconscious energy that ties you down? A lot of people kind of just say that it sucks. But, you know, like in a complacent manner. But I want folks, when you speak of these ills that are being imposed on you or in the groups that you are in, I want you to feel the truth, the seed of truth, the bones of truth inside of those experiences. So for example, like the women needing to be groomed a certain way to please a certain people, you can root down to the essential truth of that beauty is joyful, that beauty is comfortable, that beauty is accessible, and that we don't need to believe that Gatorade, that lies, that we, we don't need to believe that. Right, so you you root down to a truth. So, for example, my hair is perfectly fine as it is, right? Or that I am smart, even if I'm a native woman, right? I have a contribution to society and am intelligent, even if I'm a quote unquote just an artist, right? And once mulat, once you are alive to these truths, they become this impenetrable force that cannot be toppled by such weak ideas right so we kind of need to get to the core heart right the truth of what actually is yeah i i kind of feel conflicted right now in terms of like giving tips in terms of like how to tackle this because I know a lot of folks who listen to me are like easily empathetic, easily like working on themselves. And the thing is, sometimes we kind of delved into too much emotionality because the world is so um, numb to emotionality that we kind of overcompensate our emotions because we want to kind of meet people, right? And I honor you. I love that you're doing that. But, you know... Sometimes we don't need more emotions, right? At the same time, I do want to speak that I just came from like a freaking conference, right? Where we needed the emotionality because we needed to go down to our guts, to our stomachs, to to feel the depth of more of ourselves. So to include ourselves in the thoughts and the works and the papers that we were doing, right? So... It's very, I cannot, it's not one size fits all. I I really want to trust my listeners as well that when I speak of interse- intersectionality, when I speak of rank, when I speak of privilege, when I speak of power, when I speak speaking truth to power, right? When I speak of being able to be very compassionate with ourselves, with moving ourselves forward, sensing the true story of what is happening, I want us to kind of kind of kind of like really just sense which part we need. Like if I don't bullshit myself, what do I really need? If what is the real story here? Right? And sometimes it is terrifying to move towards what is most joyful. Right? Like, oh, that's so shallow or oh For example, uh, my authentic self wants to, like, for example, me, wants to buy a DJ deck. (laughs) Or, 
um, maybe you really want to try to go to this very unique destination. Not really for any good reason, but you just feel so called to it, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is that the the blocks that are stopping you from that innate intuition and that creativity tend to be collective expectations, right? And the thing is, I know that some people think that the expectations are kind of just like evil, <laughs> like unevolved, immature. But the thing is, those expectations like served a purpose before. Trauma, <laughs> you were surviving. So for example, we go back to the academics and the research people. Being that objective probably protect you, you during a time when maybe there were too many emotions. Uh, the house was too stressful to really meet what the truth of a situation was, was too overwhelming. So you put up walls, you put up, you numbed yourself, right? And the thing is, the the processes by which you numbed yourself may be food, may it be like mental distancing, may it be kind of just making yourself so fucking busy, right? Those served you for a time. I think I want to really emphasize that. When people have these societal expectations on you, just just think of your parents or your grandparents' generation when they say get a normal job or um, dress less kinky. They're coming from not just like expectations or control, but from an impetus of survival and actually an impetus for care. Like this helped me before I wanted to help you. So I want people to, every time you kind of sense into like a collective damage or collective pain or a collective thing that you're trying to kind of wiggle yourself out of, I don't want you to fight it. I don't want you to kill it. I want you to understand it. The enemy disappears when you understand it. Understand why that existed. When you're so mad at people being so insensitive or numb, Think for yourself how your numbness has served you too before. Think about how numbing themselves also served them. Oh, they're so greedy. They're so useless. Um, These men, they're they're crap, you know. They treat women like shit. Ask yourself, how did that serve them? Did the meanness help them survive in a certain way? Was it the only thing that was allowed for them? Did they have hard family environments that was systematic, centuries old, right? I really want folks to kind of... I keep talking about the circle, like wholeness, sensitivity, and opening into that wholeness. And we we talk about holistic healing, right? I think when we really when we really comb through the knots like the when I say knots like n k n o t t s the oh just one t um when we sort through the knots 
of like I don't want to work with rich people because they're like this or I want to work with smart people because they're like this right or I don't want to service poor people because they're like this they don't pay me well they're they're crass blah 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 I want us to kind of I want to invite people to kind of just really 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 unravel themselves on those preconceptions like take the thing that piss I wouldn't say pisses you off cuz that's not necessarily the most activating emotion like for me it is but cuz I'm a fire sign but um for example it pisses you off when people hate astrology right or it pisses you off when someone is a fundamentalist christian right i want folks to kind of like notice where what are the flags where you tense up yourself where are your edges and kind of really feel there what are the collective stories that have gathered at that shore at that beach right what injustices have gathered there at that shore and honestly i just want to allow people this kind of inquiry um byron katie also has the four question format right of um really really questioning our own assumptions but i think i'm not trying to share well i shared a little bit of her process but i think what i want to emphasize is that the openness that is needed to in enfold the whole world right when we talk about decoloniality what we're really talking about is a melting of like imperial blocks or a melting of the walls in between us and in between the different aspects of ourselves whether it's like hate towards a dictator or a terrorist or a certain kind of people, there are a lot of walls inside of us, right? So when I talk about decoloniality is that I don't only talk about how marginalized people deserve power and deserve a seat at the table and, you know, cultivate their own sovereignty and how, you know, we should help facilitate all of that. But what I'm also talking about is this posture of openness and how it this reminds me of a nowness video that has stayed with me. There was this black artist, he was a man, he had like a degenerative disease that like left him really kind of ill looking in a wheelchair. And I remember the way he talked really, wow, I was like in awe because he says that no matter what anyone says, I'm a king. And he said it with such dignity because all of his art pieces were this regality of dress of like African kings and queens. And I was just so impressed because I I, I don't want this to be like marginalized people porn. That's not it. I just want to kind of arrive to an energy where we afford that kind of respect and dignity to everybody. Everyone is a king, right? Everyone is royalty 
or and even if you don't like royalty, what I mean is that everyone is sovereign, free, and empowered. A lot of gut chakra stuff, right? And for a lot of collective decolonial work, we always talk about power, we talk about resources, we talk about power dynamics and like systematic abuse of that power. This is why I keep talking about the, the sovereignty, inner dignity, inner freedom. And to see everybody as that, to see everybody as willing and capable of that, even if they don't live like that yet. And not because we want to be idealistic, but because we respect the life within them, right? It's not because, you know, you ignore all the red flags, it's because you have respect. Their, their actions can be ill, their histories can be ill. Their actions can be unbecoming, their impact, influence can be something that, you know, you want to manage because it's a little bit, oh no, it's not the sacredness of the group. But if you really know and see that everybody deserves dignity, like a practice, like it's a practice for you. For people who are still having trouble with rank, like they have always, they're always pissed at authority or they don't like feeling subjugated. They don't, they don't like yielding or there's like certain people they just, they can't face in terms of like work. Like this person's too much of an asshole. I really want to offer like this exercise that I also do. Anytime I faced with a group or anytime, you know, the internet people have so many projections onto it but the thing is every time you come into a group feel within yourself imagine yourself bow bow like when i say bow it's not it's not subjugation it's like you 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 revere the dignity and and beauty and life anything you hold sacred inside of these people right you you go to the temple and pray right you 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 kneel you koto you you see yourself humble yourself upon that shared dignity and it kind of just washes away a lot of the blocks because you lower yourself right this is like one of my favorite somatic poses like physically and even like in your mind just just bow like bow to the floor okay and just allow your walls to like even physically or mental emotionally just feel your walls kind of just eke down right from a place of dignity again this is not from a place of weakness and of course vulnerability is okay what i'm saying is that the the warrior is relaxed and sensing and respects their opponent quote unquote right respects the art respects the process respects the group right and i feel like a lot of people when they have a lot of trauma around authority they don't really like respect as an energy because it's like it was just taken it was just demanded of them it was just compelled out of them instead of something that they feel and something that they've seen that, you know, makes their life beautiful when they move from that space. Yeah. So I know this feels a little bit kind of like very abstract or very kind of like, ooh, 
like like laborious even <laughs> you know like what do you mean I need to understand my enemies but please give it a try please give it a try every time you feel very much oppressed or you feel that there are people that you just can't work with like I can't stand that for example they're in this group or whatever please try this please try this and I understand if in your discernment you're like oh I need to switch groups but I I really encourage people that if you do this practice a lot a lot of the tensions will just ease themselves out and you can make decisions from a clarity rather than just like trying to make yourself emotionally comfortable. I feel like this practice is also a way for you to widen your capacities to tolerate a lot of like discomfort, like emotional, like, and it's not because you're tolerating abuse. No, it's not that. It's you're taller you're you're massaging the inner part of you that wants to criticize or abuse right you're you're allowing you're allowing yourself to kind of just let go yeah so anyway i hope that this episode was helpful for all of y'all if you feel like you want to forward this to a friend please do i really appreciate the, any kind of support towards my podcast i this is for all of y'all and i know that this feels more philosophical rather than or spiritual honestly and personal rather than frameworks of decol decoloniality and i know that i only gave like a few ideas in terms of like spirit work but the thing is that we learn by doing we learn by a via presencing and i know that a lot of our earlier teachers might be more mental bias dictation bias theory bias right prove it biased but the thing is that the best teacher for a decolonized being a free being is another free being right so i i would like to really offer to people that when we try to have any kind of like reform or social justice or any kind of like group holding like holding a group right to just develop that capacity develop that capacity to respect and fold in people who might be very different from you so yeah um I really hope this podcast was helpful. I feel the energy of this podcast to be very specific. And I know it can be a little bit different from my other episodes, but I hope that the this helped you. Send me any comments. And yeah, I will catch you on the next one. And ciao.